1: Well, what is up all of our Liberty loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of Good Morning Liberty. My name is Nate Thurston. Today, I am joined by a very special guest, Leslie Corbley. She's the Leslie Corbley, she's the Privacy Policy Analyst for the Libertas Institute. And I just wanted to say before we get into the interview, we had a little bit of a technical difficulty in the beginning of the interview so you might notice like five minutes in the sound is going to change a little bit here's the deal you'll just have to push past that all right you can skip five minutes ahead but it doesn't sound all that great we fixed all the problems everything will be fine and with all that said we'll just get right into the interview Leslie, how you doing today? Doing great. Why don't you go ahead, before we get into the uh, the details here, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, social media and government and all the collusion and free speech, censorship, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Before we get into that, let everyone know uh, where you're from and, and what you do so we know who we're talking to.
0: Sure. My name's Leslie Cordley. I'm the Privacy Policy Analyst at the Libertas Institute. And Libertas is located in Lehigh, Utah. So my job as the privacy policy analyst is to analyze legislation, make recommendations for legislative reforms in Utah that relate to your individual privacy rights. Uh, So that means like anything Fourth Amendment related or really anything related to how to maintain privacy in the 21st century is what I look at. Again, I make legislative recommendations for Utah, and we try to also scale those reforms nationally. So that's to ensure that you know the whole US is, <laughs> is protected um, and that individuals retain their rights and privacy. So that's what I do for my day job. That's most of what I do. And then I'm also right now doing a temporary visiting fellowship at the American Institute for Economic Research. So I'm temporarily out of Utah at the Great Barrington um, campus here at AIER.
1: See, I'm so glad I had you explain all that because I'm from Tennessee and I would have said the Libertas Institute. Uh, And and so... It sounds way better when you do it, so uh, I'm glad we did that for sure. Tell everyone about this. You you had an article uh, published by the Daily Caller, and I was reading through that. Uh, there's a big lawsuit. Uh, did this lawsuit have anything to do with the information that was just released in that Intercept piece? By the way,
0: yes. So the Intercept did cite documents that were produced from the lawsuit, as well as the Whistle the, the um, DHS documents that were leaked to the Intercept. So. I had not seen those DHS documents. Those were not leaked to me. But as far as the litigation documents, I've, I've combed through those. And that's the, the lawsuit is Missouri versus Biden. So the attorney generals of Missouri and Louisiana are suing the Biden administration, essentially alleging that the government colluded with, tech, with technology companies to censor the free speech of Americans. That's essentially what the lawsuit
1: is about. Yeah, when I read about all of this, I get a lot of Edward Snowden vibes. You know, it's like it's like that level to me. I haven't really seen that level of interest yet. Uh, I really hope that, that we do, but that's kind of how important I take this. Yes,
0: as far as the Snowden revelations, this should be, in my opinion, a, it's a far more significant story than the coverage would indicate unfortunately the average american may be largely unaware of the lawsuit so this is which is incredible because it's such an it's such an important lawsuit and the documents that came out of it are quite significant so if you go to the new civil liberties alliance ncla they have a website and on their website, they have each case and sort of a summary of what has been occurring in the case. And you can look at their drop-down menu of the um, major occurrences in the lawsuit. And so it's it's remarkable to me that given how much of the Intercept story relied on publicly available documentation, that so few people are really aware of this. I had written my piece Roughly four to five business days or thereabouts before the Intercept story broke. And there are still very few, from what I can see, stories addressing this topic, despite how how important it is to... I mean, you talk about democracy and being pro-democracy. <laughs> this should be, I think, at the top of everyone's list of issues to care about. It's Is the government attempting to restrict our our communication pathways and to ensure the only content that is favorable to the government's purposes is revealed to the public. I mean, that's, that should be a big story in my opinion.
1: Do you think that that could be, do you, uh, I hope it's not the case, but there could be a large amount of people in the country that think that this should be done. And so they're not as outraged about it.
0: Sure. I think that we are in a, the heavy polarization that is just, wrecking the uh social fabric of the country is largely showing up in this debate where you have people who really think to save democracy you have to destroy democracy i mean there's there's a large swath of the public that really has bought into the excessive fear mongering that has gone on in our public discourse and there's a lot of reasons for that you can talk about perverse business incentives you can talk about how individuals have have amped up rhetoric when they was which was needless. You can talk about a lot of the causes, but at the end of the day, you have a lot of people who truly think that to uphold truth, you have to stifle dissent, which is of course an oxymoron. <laughs> truth doesn't need, you know, uh, to sti- to stifle falsehood. You know, it can stand on its own. It's the sort of truth. But a lot of people and a large segment of the public is now under this spell that in order to solve the problem, you have to stifle dissenting voices and is very comfortable with government getting involved. Uh, You've seen this throughout the course of this debate. And it's interesting to me because it's become more and more readily apparent as information is revealed that the government has had significant collaboration with these companies. And I just find it fascinating that you hear folks on the left talk a lot about fascism, but they don't touch this issue. Yeah. (laughs) And that's fascinating to me because technology companies are incredibly powerful right now. Um, You know, information is power, and our entire social structure, our entire economy, our entire society runs on the internet and on the interconnectivity of the information and digital age in which we live. And yet, those companies that have these just powerful informational resources. Directly working with the government is not a topic of interest for people who are concerned about, you know, downfall of democracy. It's, it's a really bizarre, it's a really bizarre even media story when you look at it through the lens of why are those who routinely complain about corporate power not talking about this issue.
1: I think it has to do with whether or not they control that corporate power. Unfortunately, and as uh, we've said on this show a lot, um, I really thought with as worked up as everyone was about Donald Trump being the president, uh, people would realize that you're not just giving the Biden administration the power to control what the social media companies uh, are are controlling uh, of our speech. You're giving the government itself, and that could be ran by someone like Donald Trump again in the future, and 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 I would guess that if they had these exact same powers, which a lot of this did start under under Trump, um, if they had those exact same powers, that they wouldn't like the Trump administration's DHS controlling what they thought was misinformation or disinformation. <laughs>
0: I, I absolutely agree. And I think it also really goes to the point, I'm not sure how much you follow Glenn Greenwald's work throughout the years, but he speaks a lot about these issues, which I find refreshing because he's, you know, more traditional critiques, capitalism critiques some of these corporations, but is willing to put his money where his mouth is when it comes to these issues of corporations engaging in this kind of conduct, despite their their more liberal uh, leanings. He has no no qualms with with critiquing this. And I think it really goes to his point where when he talks a lot about the security state and the extent to which um, the federal uh, national security apparatus really is what's the driving force behind these decisions. Um, it, It certainly lends these circumstances that we're seeing as they unfold and the more information that becomes available. Certainly is consistent with the argument that you know to what extent is the president of the United States, whether that's Donald Trump or Joe Biden, really the one functionally controlling the levers of government?
1: Yeah, I I think that maybe we've got a few too many regulatory agencies out there and and uh, alphabet uh, agencies, I guess we call them also. Um, here's the other thing though: when when they go when they have this uh, when they go answer the questions for the lawyers, everyone's going to say. That they never told them specifically that they had to censor any content. They they might have made some recommendations or they said, hey, we think that this is misinformation, but they never threatened them with anything. They never said that. Right. I mean that. So there can't be a, a First Amendment violation here.
0: Sure. That that's going to be questions for a court to answer. And I think that while I don't know how the, the legal case will land, um, that's that's not something I'm speaking to in this moment. but. I think from a functional level, if this were a foreign country, we wouldn't view it that way. Frankly, I mean, if this were a story that we were breaking that we were viewing from Mexico, Brazil, and I'm just picking names of foreign (laughs) countries, but if we were looking at this from the outside in, I don't think we'd be saying, well, is this a technical violation? Do we really know that they pressured them? Because the reality of the situation is that the federal government has just an awe-inspiring amount of power, regulatory power across numerous domains. So they had uh, previously threatened to bring antitrust actions against Facebook, now Meta. Um, And this same federal government that can take those regulatory actions is also communicating with these agencies in relation to their content moderation decisions and what should and should not occur in that domain. So it's not as if, if you're a company receiving all this incoming data that you're separating out, oh, well, the antitrust action clearly has nothing to do with these content moderation decisions, right? You're looking at it from the whole of the executive branch, which is a broader problem, which is how much power the executive branch wields. In our, in our federal system, they shouldn't, frankly, the executive branch is way out of bounds as far as how much power they wield. And this is a prime example of that, right? A company that's seeing, okay, I could be facing like, Very damaging antitrust lawsuits is going to look at other actions of the federal government in that context. Do I want to possibly look at dealing with a retaliatory action that I can't prove is necessarily retaliatory, right? So there's a lot of uh, capacity to abuse the law. uh, And I think that that's a lot of what we're seeing. That being said, let's say we take the other hypothetical and these companies are just willing actors that are completely willingly engaging with the federal government in this regard. I think that's also a major problem. If you have companies and the government um, conspiring in this way, I think that that in and of itself, I do believe, amounts to uh, a First Amendment violation. I don't think that government should can really hide behind companies in this regard and say, "Hey, company, I would like you to take action X," and um, and the company can just say, "Sure, I'm completely willing to do whatever the government wants," right? At that point, the the incentive structure becomes companies currying favor with the government and then doing their bidding because they know that that will provide them protection. It's, it's, it's really a more mercantilist system than capitalist.
1: Yeah. I and, and when it comes to these companies, whether or not they freely make the decision or not, um, I really think that without the government, they would still have an incentive structure to, say, keep really dangerous disinformation or misinformation off of their platforms. I think that they... I think that they should be able to choose what content they put on their website and, and what they don't allow on their website. And I think that they have an incentive in the market to not say, allow some type of dangerous information that could kill millions of people or, or some type of blatantly false information that uh, changes an election. I think the market would punish them for that. If that information came out, Don't, don't you?
0: Absolutely. And I think that there's a fundamental misunderstanding as to what constitutes dangerous information, right? I mean, really, to be frank, we weren't having this conversation in 2010. You know, no one was wondering. Oh my goodness, what what is someone posting on Facebook that's inaccurate information? We all knew that there was plenty of information going around the internet that was anything <laughs> anything yeah. short of the best content that you could possibly consume. You know, we didn't have this same problem, so it's it's coinciding with a lot of other um, problems in in American culture, and so the the algorithmic control and the algorithm algorithmic um, downplaying or amplifying of content is a fairly new phenomenon. And it's fascinating because this type of algorithmic control actually mirrors... I recently just finished reading The Surveillance State by uh, two Wall Street Journal investigative journalists. They had actually studied the surveillance state of China. So it's fascinating how much these Algorithmic manipulations mirror what occurs in China. Now, obviously, these systems are not the same. I'm not arguing that we, and it by any means, live in a, in a surveillance state akin to China. But it is interesting how uh, this this algorithmic control is is moving in a very specific direction, right? And I think it's really dangerous where it's headed in the sense that it breeds further distrust in the public. And when you insert the government into that, as far as them attempting to coerce decisions of private actors, it really muddies the waters and um makes the motives of companies far more suspect. Uh you know, it 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 wasn't even, for instance, just the White House or the CDC getting involved with some of these decisions. It was also, as we know from Mark Zuckerberg's interview with Joe Rogan and also the documents that came out in litigation, there were FBI agents involved in this process as well. So now you're not just looking at the civil power of the government, potentially also the criminal uh power of the government. You know, and so the FBI is a very, obviously a very powerful <laughs> law enforcement agency. And when when they knock on your door, I think it's hard to argue that that your response at that point becomes purely voluntary.
1: So we, I I think we kind of knew that there was collusion going on. I will say one thing that shocked me that I didn't expect was that Facebook would actually build a portal for government officials to log into and request information. Did you see that one coming? Was that one on your list?
0: Um, I honestly wasn't surprised by that. I don't, I mean, clearly before information comes out, you don't want to make predictions and say, oh, this is for sure happening when you don't have the information. But yeah, no, that really did not surprise me at all because it just makes the process much more expedited. And given how quickly information was being Tagged by the government and then removed by companies, it appeared that there was some kind of a process going on there, right? Um, primarily due to the speed. Unless it was a situation, you know, it could have been a situation where uh, a top executive, ha- a, talk- a top executive, was in direct contact with an individual from the agency. But a direct portal like that makes uh, a lot of sense. So I wasn't surprised to see that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess if you want to streamline fascism. I mean, that's one of the good ways uh, to do it. So there's a lot of smart people over there working on great things. Um, you know, they, they uh, know what they're doing. I think Jensaki accidentally mentioned this whole process when she said that they had flagged things for, uh, for Facebook to take down. That might've been specifically what she was talking about. I wanted to mention to everyone, if they didn't realize this uh, in your article, you said that they're going to be questioning do- even Dr. Fauci ab- about this whole thing. How do you think that's going to go?
0: I I cannot wait to view that deposition.
1: Can can we have Rand Paul do the questioning? Actually, I would like to have Rand Paul be the lawyer in this case. I I don't know if he can, but it, that would be fun.
0: That that would be. I mean, but we've already seen that line of questioning. Yeah. I'm really curious to watch this to watch this play out. So actually, the Biden administration had sought to, and they had appealed that decision and sought to prevent. Um, Lawyers from questioning Dr. Fauci and see if they could sort of prevent that, but the judge ruled, I believe that was yesterday, uh, that no, we're going to go ahead with these. Um, you know, it would be very presidential to the plaintiffs if they can't depose these individuals because it's so crucial to the First Amendment claim at play. So I, frankly, am thrilled to see these these depositions drop because I want, you know, I want to analyze them. I want to mm-hmm. see what's said, what what these um, both what the lawyers ask and what. These witnesses, such as Fauci and and uh, former White House press secretary Jen Psaki, has to say, because uh, I think that's going to be very telling. And it's fascinating to me because it's one of those cases where you have so much damning information that's already publicly available, which is why it was so shocking. Like, where are the eyes on this? You know, really think back to like the year two thousand or something, and how shocking it would have been if there had been a story. Saying that the government was attempting to, in any way, shape, or form, um, push editorial decisions at MySpace or Facebook or any of the social media outlets or really any outlet on the internet. I think that would have been national news. And now it's, you know, a niche, sort of a niche news story. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, you're definitely not seeing the the major, I mean, especially on the left, I doubt it's been covered. <laughs> I would be surprised if it's been covered a single time on some of the major channels. I, maybe it has. I'm not, I'm not sure. Uh, you just imagine you were talking about back in 2000. I mean, how, how upset would the left have been if the Bush administration was controlling information about the uh, invasion of Iraq or Afghanistan? And they, and they, they may have been uh, potentially with newspapers or online publications at that time, but It's so weird how partisan this can be It's just determined by who's in control and whether or not you think you agree with the things that they're controlling and if it benefits your political ideology.
0: It's really destabilizing. That's one of my really one of my biggest concerns is when you're when the nation increasingly becomes aware and and sees this play out again and again, where it's just deeply cynical deeply partisan and deeply manipulative you're just destroying the public trust that is necessary to have a functioning self-governing republic you can't have self-governance in a system that runs that where the public perceives it as running on manipulation control coercion like these are mutually exclusive <laughs> with the type of governmental system that the founders envisioned and created and we're increasingly going down a really dangerous path here and that's where i really i do think americans of all political stripes should care about this This should not be a partisan issue the fact that it is is really really troubling and really says something about where our politics are right now and how deeply um deeply polarized we are because this shouldn't be partisan I, i i truly believe this is something everyone should care about if one side Um, feels comfortable coercing and and censoring speech in furtherance of their favored party's agenda, you're going to see this on the other side. Like you said, it's going to become a tit-for-tat type scenario, and it really doesn't lend itself to responsible governance.
1: No, uh, I hope you have a better outlook for the future than I do right now. One of the potential bright spots—I don't know if you've uh, talked much on this—but you know, we did just get a new owner of one of the major social media platforms out there. I have seen some concerning things recently about his plans for potential continued continued censorship. But I don't. Know, do you think that having someone like that running running that company solves? A little bit of this problem. but then I feel so sorry to I'll cut back in on my own question. I feel bad because then you're just relying on the right guy being in charge of the company at that time. And if the wrong person's in charge of it, then we're back in the same spot. That's not a good that's not a good backstop for me.
0: I think we actually need to really rethink how we consume information as consumers. I really think that a lot of it comes down to that. I don't think that there's any reason for us to think Twitter, Facebook, or any of the current platforms we have are the end all be all of communication moving forward. I think individuals need to be very aware of algorithms and perverse incentives as it relates to algorithms and think very carefully about whether or not they want to engage in those platforms so one of the things i'm actually doing is looking into rumble not because it was my like social media of choice per se but because it does not appear to have the same algorithmic incentives that some of these other providers have right now and so i think that individuals should be very aware of that and very aware of the issues that come with companies heavily working with the government you can you can pay attention to a lot of these things on the front end. You know, if we had, as a population, cared more about some of these issues in the years and decades leading up to this, where we are now, I don't think we would really be here. Uh, so I, that's I think a note of encouragement. Really, I understand, of course, that it's not we're not in a great position right now, but these things happen, you know, history is not perfect. No, every era has their troubles. Right. And it's not as if in 2010, you could predict this would be a problem, right? Back in 2010, everyone was more or less on Facebook and the platform operated very, very differently. You know, even myself, I used to be on Facebook and I I got off in 2020 because it just became a, a top success pool of the worst kind of rhetoric and just constant negative, angry feedback loops of, Everyone on the platform, whether it was right, left, center, was just this sort of constant anger and resentment that was being fostered, and I didn't think that was productive. Now, that being said, when I think back to what Facebook looked like in 2012, it was a very different platform. So I think that that's, in my view, a note of encouragement because it means things are don't necessarily have to get stuck in these patterns that we're in right now.
1: So uh, in my view of algorithms has always been that they uh, show people what – they think will get the most reactions, essentially. And and so when I think about it that way, I'm like, is it really, is it the algorithm or is it what people want to see? And so my, I guess my question would be, what came first? Was it the algorithms or crazy people?
0: I think that's where we really, as a society, need to really take a hard look in the mirror because you're not wrong. When, when you're seeing a lot of these per perverse incentives, the perverse business models that these companies operate on. It's not as if the public has had no input into this or our culture hasn't, right? And again, every era faces their cultural problems. It's This is the way every epoch and era of human history has worked. But I think that there's some self-reflection that individuals need to do and, and taking more ownership of their lives and what their lives look like both online and offline. We talk about, for instance, the loneliness epidemic, but often don't talk about how to build strong communities. You talk about problems online, but don't, you know, You, in order to solve these problems, it requires individuals to actually functionally change how they behave. And that's where I think he, individuals have more power than they realize, particularly in the aggregate. Uh, algorithms don't really control you if you aren't interested in what they're selling. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: but, right? They can't get into your head physically and make you want things, right? And so there's a lot of power in saying, hmm, I'm going to be more intentional about how I live my life.
1: Yeah, it's it's really the algorithms learning what you've told them you want to see. And so the, I do see things sometimes where I just, I'm I'm not going to react on that. I'm not going to hit like on that. And then I see posts from like a family member and I'll make sure I hit like on that, even if it's something stupid. Uh, I'll still hit, hit like on that or leave a comment. And that way, uh, Facebook learns that I want to see more of that stuff and less crazy things and please God, less ads Uh, that that's really, really (laughs) what I don't want to have. So what do you think is gonna, what just, I know you don't know, but what do you think is gonna come from this? How do we solve this specific problem right now of the jaw boning that I think is definitely happening?
0: I think the jaw boning problem is a problem that can be solved to some degree, through policy initiatives, there's a model uh, leg, or a model resolution actually through Alec, the American Legislative Exchange Council, on this issue where it recommends that states call on Congress to to solve this problem of jawboning by focusing in, honing in on the issue of government attempting to access private databases and attempting to uh, cajole and coerce and jawbone companies into doing the government's bidding. This is a problem. That piece of the puzzle can be solved with policy. I'm hopeful that the lawsuit will move forward and will um, bring some much-needed accountability to this space through a movement in the, the jurisprudential landscape. I think that there's room for both policy Measures at the legislative level and also at the judicial. And I'm hopeful that we'll see those. Uh lastly, I think that there's a, a cultural element. I see it as a, a three-pronged approach. You also need those individuals and culture to be much more aware of the of the reality of, of the time period in which we're living. There's a lot of attempts to manipulate right now. Manipulate the, the kind of fear-mongering, you know, fear cells, right? Was it is the famous line. And, and media companies know that. And we need to be aware that that kind of fear and resentment and vitriol and outrage is, is sort of being consumed right now and produced because it has so much uh, consumption behind it. And you don't have to consume that. You don't have to put that out there. I, I don't know if you watch or listen to Jordan Peterson, but I've always loved his quote where he says, only agree to that which you actually agree with. Right. And I think that the more we, we only put that out there and that people becoming more conscious of their behavior and what they're putting into the world will have an impact. Now you're not going to see that overnight, but this problem isn't going to be solved overnight. Right. That's just not realistic. So I think that there are ways in which this can be solved. Congressionally, that's going to be tough because you're in a very, very partisan um legislative landscape. But you know, this lawsuit appears to be. Right now, the plaintiffs are, are moving forward with it. It, it. it appears that we're going to get more discovery in the case, and I'm hopeful that that will lead to the right result.
1: Well, there you go. I think that's nice to end on a positive note like that. And, and with a Jordan Peterson quote, no less. I mean, we can't really go uh, any, we can't really do any better than that. I'm really glad we were able to make this happen today with absolutely no technical problems whatsoever. <laughs> it's always great when everything works out perfectly. Um, tell everyone where they can go to follow what you're doing.
0: Sure. So right now I'm on Twitter at Corbley Leslie. So just last name, first name. I actually just started a Rumble account. I have not posted any videos, but it's the same tag as my Twitter at Corbley Leslie. You can also follow my work at Libertis. That is org. And I have a personal website, which is just com. And I post everything on that personal website so that, you know, people who know my name can easily find it. So please follow me there. There'll be more work to come. I try to post articles fairly regularly, as well as interviews such as this. So I'm excited to keep informing the public on these issues and pushing forward this, um, the, important, the, the importance of privacy rights in the 21st century.
1: Leslie, thank you so much for your time today. We uh, would love to have you back on sometime.
0: Thank you.